The World Orphan Drug Congress USA is the global drug conference and expo that brings together pharma, payers, regulators, and patient advocacy groups to talk about sustainability, pricing and reimbursement, commercialization, and global market access. The event takes place April 22nd through 24th in Washington, D.C. For more information or to register, go to www.terrapin.com forward slash orphan drug. That's www.terrapinn.com forward slash orphan drug. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Lysosomal storage disorders are a group of genetic rare diseases that can manifest themselves in a diverse set of symptoms and be difficult to diagnose. Now, Cortigen Life Sciences has brought to market LysoSeq, a next-generation genetic test for sequencing 94 genes associated with nearly 60 metabolic disorders. The new test provides an alternative to the piecemeal testing that can provide a long, slow, and costly path to an answer. We spoke to Richard Bowles, medical director of Cortigen, about this group of diseases, the importance of faster diagnosis can play in minimizing irreversible damage, and how the new test changes the diagnostic landscape for these patients. Richard, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Well, we're going to talk about your company, Cortigen, and its new diagnostic test, LysoSeq for lysomal storage disorders, but perhaps we should start with this group of rare diseases. What are lysosomal storage disorders? How many are there? There's a fair number of them. I don't know if the number is 30 or 50 or so. There's new ones being described all the time. The lysosomal storage disorders are a group of disorders which is based upon how they cause disease in the cell, which is unusual in the way that diseases are classified. The storage means that some chemical is being stored, and um, the storage builds up over time. So basically what these are, for the most part, is an enzyme is missing. The enzyme normally breaks down one chemical into another chemical, and because this chemical can't be broken down, it's simply stored. And over time, the lysosomes get bigger and bigger, and that causes disease. Uh, what symptoms you get from lysosomal storage disease depends on what chemical is being stored, um, how fast it's being stored, and in what cell type it's being stored. So, uh, how do these diseases normally manifest themselves, and, and how difficult are they to diagnose? Well, they're extremely difficult to diagnose because they can manifest themselves in many different ways. Um, again, there's a very large amount of chemicals, number of chemicals that are broken down by lysosomes. Lysosomes are like the trash compactors of the cell. They take, they go in there, um, chemicals are released in there, and the lysosomes have the enzymes. They're bags of enzymes, and they break down these chemicals um, to things that can be dealt with by the cell. And the lysosomal storage disorders, you have increasing storage. So 
some of these disorders is that you have accumulation in brain. Um, brain is a tissue that is very more commonly affected than other tissues of the body. The first thing that's going to have trouble with a large number of conditions is the brain. So, but it depends on what chemical and what part of the brain it's being stored in. So you can have mental retardation or seizure disorders, learning disabilities, um, movement disorders, and all sorts of, of different things, just about any neurological problem that you can think of. Um, in general, because these disorders cause accumulation, and the accumulation increases over time, one of the concepts of lysosomal disease, which is almost universal, is that the progressive disease starts at some point but gets worse. So the most classical neurological diseases associated are progressive neurological disease. So it may start off as just learning disabilities and a couple of seizures, and eventually it progresses to um, more seizures, mental retardation, complete dementia, and death. And, and many of these diseases are, are diseases people may have heard of but not realize they're considered lysosomal storage disorders. There are many of them, and none of them are really that common, but some of them people might have heard about. Uh, Lepetax is one. Gauche is another. Crabbe. Um, Fabre. They're usually named by the person or people that discovered them, but and there's some others um, that people might have heard of, but most of them are, are quite rare and are no one's really heard of unless they know someone with it. And you mentioned the, the progressive nature of these diseases. How important is early diagnosis, particularly as treatment options have, have emerged? Um, can I step back again a second and sure. continue to answer one of those other questions? I spoke about the neurological um, manifestations because it's one of the ways that people can diagnose lysosomal diseases by a progressive which means increasingly worse neurological disorder. But many of these disorders actually don't accumulate in brain, and they do in bone. So you can have people what we call skeletal dysplasias. They can look unusual. They can be short as different types of short stature or dwarfism. They can have deformities of their bones and or joints. Um, and their face can look unusual in that you get accumulation in the bones of the face causing an unusual appearance and or the soft tissues of the face, such as the skin and others. Another presentation is storage in the liver. Um, several of these diseases cause liver disease, um, which can, which is progressive and can eventually be fatal. In some cases, the storage is massive before the disease becomes clinically obvious and that the individual presents with um, a very large abdomen because of a large liver and a large spleen, because it's the liver and the spleen in which there's accumulation. And there are other ones, too. There's ones that cause kidney disease and on and on. But these are some of the more common ones. One other thing about the presentation is that if the storage is massive, it can show up very early in life. In fact, there are some cases of high drop or severe swelling in the fetus that can cause a miscarriage hmm. or stillbirth, which is due to lysosomal storage. It can cause problems obvious at birth or later in infancy, at any time during childhood or even in adulthood. Some of these disorders and some people do not manifest until old age. 
But I, I take it that damage occurs over time and that in many cases it's irreversible damage. So what is the importance of, of early diagnosis when, when possible? Well, there are several of these disorders in which enzyme replacement has been designed and is clinically available. Um, what's missing from the lysosome is the enzyme to break something down. The enzyme is made by a pharmaceutical company and is almost always given by IV. So these patients come in usually once a week, but it can vary depending on the disease and the severity, and get an infusion. So over a few hours, once a week, they come into an infusion center of a hospital and get the enzyme, and the results are usually very good. I mean, there's a lot of these disorders and a lot of different severities, but in many cases, the individual is effectively normal as long as the infusions continue and um, has no clinical symptom at all, while others are improved greatly. To be able to do that, you need to make the diagnosis, um, particularly those disorders that cause neurological damage. Once the brain is damaged, it's really hard to repair it. I mean, once it's dead, it's dead. And so you want to catch these disorders before there's significant brain damage. So early diagnosis can make a huge difference. Well, you've just launched Lysoseek, a, a clinical genetic test for lysomal storage disorders. H how does it work? It is um, next-generation technology. We're able to look at millions of base pairs of DNA and to read them um, and compare them against the reference sequences on a computer very rapidly. So what it's done is that a tissue sample, usually saliva, but we can use blood or other tissue if available, but usually you just sit in a cup and send it by mail, and the DNA is removed from the cells in the saliva, and it is sequenced to get the DNA sequence of all of the genes that make essentially every single one of the lysosomal enzymes. Because these disorders can be very difficult to diagnose, and in particular, many different enzymatic deficiencies can cause the same clinical abnormality. In other words, many of these disorders can look very much the same. It makes it easier to just send off the test, and essentially every lysosomal disease which is known has been identified. Well, how does this change the, the landscape for diagnostics? What, what was the process for getting a, a diagnosis prior to lysoseq if you suspected a, a lysosomal storage disorder? The way that it was done before is that you were sent into a specialist because only a specialist would recognize these disorders and know which tests to do. Um, the specialist, maybe depending on the city and, and the insurance type, could take a year or more before you found somebody. And therefore, the physicians were often not likely to refer anything other than their most obviously affected patients because it was just too difficult to get one of these specialists. After you see the specialist, the specialist would order um, several different tests to test for the most obvious and easier ones to test for. Um, so they would take a few months to get those results back. You'd go back to the specialist, and if they found something, you'd have a diagnosis. If they didn't, they'd have to do a second round of tests. The second round of tests would be to individual labs. Some of them are not in the United States. Many of them are expensive. And getting insurance coverage to approve each and every one of these tests was a nightmare, and it was just extremely difficult and in many cases was never done. Um, eventually, if 
you got down to the end of that and you still didn't have a diagnosis, then they would entertain other possibilities, often going to get a tissue biopsy. Sometimes it's sent to an ophthalmologist and they take a little piece of skin off of the eye um, and look under the electron microscope to see if there's any storage in the lysosome. Sometimes they would do a, um, a colonoscopy, basically, where they would put a tube into the anus and then take a piece of the rectal mucosa or the rectal skin and look under that under the electron microscope. Um, this is obviously, it takes another specialist a lot of time, extremely expensive, including the electron microscope, and very time-consuming. It often took a year or two years to really go through these lists of tests. Um, now, that it, with next-gen technology, the pediatrician that's suspecting that it could possibly be lysosomal, but maybe not even to the point of wanting to send to a specialist, can simply order the test. The saliva kit is sent in the regular mail. The family, the, the child spits into the tube. Um, you send it by regular mail, and every single one of these tests is, is looked at including those that have that you'd have to do tissue biopsies. And if it comes back positive, you have a diagnosis. And if it comes back negative, you've ruled out everything, and there's no second step. And at what point is a doctor likely to order this test today compared to what it would have been previously? Well, symptom recognition is difficult because lysosomal disorders are like any effectively rare or uncommon disorder, there are thousands of them, and a physician can't know any of them. So a physician's still going to have to recognize those sorts of situations in which to order a lysosomal screen. Um, again, the most common ones being um, progressive neurological disease, um, increasing size of the liver and or spleen, and um, skeletal deformations in many parts of the body. So that's still up to the physician. We haven't taken the physician out of the equation by any means. But it's much easier. The physician can just say, this looks like the normal, order the test, sequence all of the enzymes, and have an answer within weeks, sometimes within many days. And is this test generally covered by insurance? How expensive is it? Oh, you know, the price for every medical test in the United States is, depends on the insurance company and the contracts with individual hospitals and everything. Um, these tests are generally on the order of a few thousand dollars, but that, but what is actually paid is extremely variable. Um, PPO insurance plans are generally take, are, are generally covering the cost of these tests. HMOs sometimes, and unfortunately at the present time, government insurers are not covering this. And that's not just for this test. That's all um, next-gen DNA tests. Um, it's been in the press lately about um, insurance companies denying tests for DNA tests for cancer and for any disease. It's still um, it's a, a major problem in our society now and that we have this technology. It's cheaper, it's, less, it's quicker, it's more effective, and it's... Um, it's less invasive than what was there before, but the insurance companies are slow to ch to move over to the future. And, and how does Lysoseq fit in with the other offerings from Cortigen? Well, Cortigen is in the area of pediatric neurological disease currently. Um, so Cortigen has a test for developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, including autism. 
Um, it has a test for seizure disorders, epilepsy, and it has a couple of tests for mitochondrial disorders, and then now the lysosomal test. For this and the other tests that Cortigen is um, developing, all in the neurology space. They're all disorders of brain and nerves. And while a lot of our patients are now um, are adults, we're mostly marketing towards the pediatric um, practitioners. And you mentioned this is a next-generation test. Uh, take it you're referring to, to new sequencing technology. How has that changed the landscape for, for what you do? Well, sequencing has become far more quicker, efficient, um, cheaper, and I mean, faster. It's just the original Human Genome Project cost billions of dollars, involved labs throughout the industrialized world, and at the end of more than a decade was sequenced the, the DNA in one individual. Um, we can sequence many, many individuals in a single lab in a single day now. Um, the speed at which we can now sequence DNA is a thousand or ten thousand times that which was only 10, 20 years ago. Um, this allows for tests such as this. The lysosomal, um, seek, the lysoseq, um, has you know, approximately a hundred genes or so on it. Um, each and every one of these genes has coding sequences which are in the thousands, tens of thousands of nucleotides. Um, so you're testing um, over a million nucleotides in one test. Um, that just wasn't, I mean, that wasn't feasible three, four years ago on a commercial basis, really, and it was inconceivable essentially 10 years ago, except for people, you know, predicting the future. Richard Bowles, Medical Director of Cortigen Life Sciences. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.